Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, which is a pretty big subject. I, I sent out a notice before the show that, uh, and you can respond if you want to add certain things to the topic or questions to the topic, but the topic is going to be kind of home church. We're going to try to finish up our uh, talks on home church. You know, we did, we took time out to do some uh more recordings on trolls and trollism because Cain was the first troll. Uh, the troll spirit, what you see in online trolling, is just a manifestation of a whole spiritual realm, which is people call hell and identify it with all kinds of things. But it's the absence of the virtues of Christ. And so you have this, what is a sign that the there is something missing from your spiritual life and you know backbiting gossiping these are all parts of the uh, characteristics of the the troll spirit but it goes even farther than that where you not only bludgeon somebody with online posts but you'll actually bludgeon them with a club if you think you can get away with it or shoot them at these mass shootings and all of them lead to eventual self-destruction and uh and so you can see it at many different layers and levels. It's really not a different spirit. It's the same spirit over there in the, in the realm of evil. And it's a self-destructive, uh, destroy others, care not about others, but care about yourself. It's a selfish spirit. And uh, it's you, you can see it at every different aspect of mankind. So anyway, uh, today's topics I said, would be to... Uh, uh, cycles of the spirit and the home church delusion and uh, the home church is really a good idea and the early church was a home church gathering uh, so to speak but even the idea of doing church or having church or it's a misuse of the word because the word in the original text was ecclesia which means called out it doesn't mean an assembly Obviously, the called out may assemble. They're coming out and they may come together. And uh, that's what when the people were called out of the Walden camp or the Golden Calf, they the ones who came out mostly, uh, the majority of them were of the Levite tribe. And so they received a designation as the church in the wilderness, the called out in the wilderness. And they were given certain duties and jobs and and um, positions within the kingdom of God that Moses was trying to explain to the people. Uh, a thousand years later, when you got, and more, uh, when you got uh, people like uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots, you, you started getting different opinions as to what Moses was actually trying to tell the people. Evidently, according to the New Testament, Moses and Jesus were in agreement. We also know, according to the Bible, that God is the same yesterday as he is today. And we also pretty much know that men don't change. They're, they're the same, at least uh, in the, the context of our time. Men 
are the same now as they were back then in the days of Rome and the days of Babylon, etc. You know, somebody sent me a thing on um, on uh, prophecies of uh, the future. He's he he doesn't seem to really get into the inner uh, the, to the network, the living network, and become a part of a congregation. But he always likes to send me little tidbits about prophecies because everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the future. Well, I can tell you what's going to happen in the future is bad things are going to happen in the future. But I can also tell you in the future that there will be good things happening in the future. Now, the question is, are you going to be a part of the bad things? Or are you going to be a part of the good things? <laughs> because that's the challenge that's before you. Things happen. That's just the way it is. And they happen in cycles. There's a winter. There's a summer. And sometimes there's not much of a summer. And sometimes there's not much of a winter. And everybody's worried about global warming now. Because uh, supposedly CO2 is is putting more carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases. And we're all supposed to be afraid of uh, global warming. And the reality is is that according to astrophysicists, we should be in a period of global cooling uh, because of the uh, uh, the uh, rotation of the Earth around the sun. I mean, right now in about a week and a half, we're going to be as close to the sun as we will be all year. But it's going to be really cold up here in the North Country, even though that we're closer to the sun. Well, how could that be? Why are we colder? Well, there's a tilt in the axle, uh, axis of the uh, Earth spinning around. the, And there's a procession of this tilt and where we are in relationship to the sun. When that procession gets all the way around to the fact that during in August, when we are now normally the farthest away, actually July, July fourth, I think we're the farthest away from the sun. It is the warmest here. Of course, it's pretty warm down in Australia, but it's uh, or cold down in Australia at that time. And right now, when it's cold here, it's it's warm in Australia because of that tilt. But uh, they're closer to the sun and getting more sunlight than we would. When you rotate all the way around over a long period of time, we will be closer to the sun in our July 4th in the middle of our summer and uh, farthest away in our winter, which will make our winters more severe. So then when you start getting more and more snow, then that's when you start moving into these regular cycled ice ages that have taken place over the history of the Earth. And uh, you end up with the miles of ice where you now have New York City. But uh, And we were actually moving into one of those cycles, theoretically, by geological standards and astronomical standards. We should be start turning the corner, moving back into that. But some theorize, and these are all theories, that because of the increased carbon dioxide, mostly from places like China and India, which have moved into their own industrial age after the, uh, you know, their uh, communist revolutions and their uh, uh, reorganizations of their society. They finally decided to make stuff and make money. Uh, they have been burning, you know, fossil fuels and putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And that's forestalling the cooling, <laughs> so, uh, which will continue because you're not going to stop the planet. So many different factors 
in these cycles can have dramatic effects in our life on this planet. The weather, uh, the general climate, uh, the seasons, the growing seasons, the food supply, all these things can be affected by factors way outside of our control and people trying to create carbon t- taxes and and uh, change things with uh, you know accords on climate summits and stuff like that is absolute foolishness it's not going to make anything really different so what does make things really different what really controls the cycles of humanity and that's why i mentioned cycles of the spirit because uh, the cycles of the spirit, uh, which has cycles too. I mean, we have seasons in our own selves, in our own thinking. I mean, every day we have a period that we supposedly go to sleep and we go into this rest period. All the We see all the animals doing it. We see even sharks in the ocean go into kind of a sleep stage where they, they have to keep moving in order to keep breathing because they have to have water circulating but they actually go through a sleep stage where they're actually still swimming. They just keep swimming, <laughs> as, the, as the cartoon says. But yet they they have this cycle. Well, there are spiritual cycles, too, in us. And, and these cycles are seen in the individual, but they're also seen in whole societies. Whole societies move in these cycles. And when you start stepping back out of flesh and blood and start stepping into the spirit, you start seeing those cycles taking place in the spirit. So anyway, with that said, how does this have to do with the second part of that topic, the home church delusion? Now, we, we've already done a couple hours on, uh, actually probably three hours on home church. And uh, we've talked about the fact that the early church mostly met in homes and the early christians met in homes they didn't do church and we have an article up on that they they weren't having church that when they met in these homes people talk about you know we're going to have church at home how are you going to have church because church is from the word we see as church is translated from the greek word ekklesia which means called out. So you're going to have the called out at home. You're going to have the called out at your house. Uh, Because people say it's an assembly, and it means assembly. But that is a gross injustice to say that the word church means assembly. Because it really doesn't. Uh, There's lots of words like agora, panagoras, and uh, heorate, koinon, uh, these different words that mean assembly, symposia. It can mean a, a, an assembly of like 10 people. Uh, so there's lots of a synagogue, all these things that, you know, that it's like in a congregation. Uh, they, all ha- they all have to do with uh, a word, uh, sunolizo, uh, which means to gather together, to assemble. But ecclesia is not that, those words. Ecclesia means the called out. Now, yeah, the called out may come together, but the called out are those that are called out. So who did Jesus call out? Did he go out and call everybody out? He called everybody to repentance. 
So in, in one sense, you could say we're all called out of sin or, or sinful way of thinking. But the called out were clearly the apostles, maybe the 70 that he sent out. Because there was evidently more than just the 12 apostles. We don't know who all these people are. There's actually several lists of the names of those who might be considered part of the 70 or even a part of the 120 names in the upper room. That's another thing. is, And I've often referred to the 120 in the upper room. They're really, when you go closely into the Greek, it doesn't really say that the 120 are in the upper room. That would have to be a pretty big upper room. Uh, serious structure to have 120 names in the upper room, 120 people. And considering the fact that they often came with their families, that would be, you know, that could amount to as many as a thousand people. That's a, that's a pretty big building for those days. Uh, but there were 120 in this house of the Lord because as we talked before, the word house doesn't always mean a structure or building. It can mean everybody who's a part of a household. And we looked at several of the words like household, household of God, household of faith. And we saw that a lot of times these words, and in some translations, the word that would normally be translated household is translated house. Uh, and the reality is, is that, you know, people were actually stretching these quotes to try to justify his home church. I don't think we have to justify home church. I think that, yeah, they met in homes, period. Meeting in homes is a good idea. This idea of meeting in a special building, everybody going once a week to a special building, sitting a 1,000 people, 500 people, and in rows of pews, and listening to one guy talk for an hour and a half or two hours, that that's not having church. That's what's having church is to a lot of people, and now the home church movement says, well, we don't want to have church in the big building. We want it on a more intimate basis. We want to have church in our homes. But that's not, you're misusing the word that we find in the text. The word in the text is ecclesia, which means called out. You don't, you can have some of the called out come to your home, <laughs> but you don't have the called out at home. You don't do called out. The called out are those that Christ called out and gave particular instructions to. And we may get a chance to look at some of those instructions. Uh, not in great detail in this series, but we've covered them. Uh, it's very clear that when Jesus is telling things to the apostles, he's not telling to the general public. Because it says, why do you always talk to them in parables? And, and, and he says, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but it's not given unto them. Everybody doesn't need to know all the mysteries of the kingdom. You don't need to know what's coming in the future. As a matter of fact, if you knew what was coming in the future, the good and the bad, it'd probably scare you to death. And so, you don't need to know that. You need to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And meeting in your home churches, that needs to be your motivation. You're meeting in the church uh, building or meeting in your home for the purposes of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what you should be doing. And so, is that what the home churches are doing? 
Well, I'm sure to some degree they are. But there's a cycle of thinking that keeps us from really seeing and knowing what, you know, what Christ was really talking about when he was saying, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when he was appointing to the apostles, his little flock, a kingdom. Now, if you go amongst home church people, one of the things that they object to, other than the big building uh, gatherings, is they object to a clergy or priests or ministers or what have you. And I understand that. I, I have, I've, I've been there and I, I object to most of what we see posing as clergy, priests, ministers, uh, pastors. I object because they're not doing what Christ said to do. If they were doing what Christ said to do, they would not be ruling over you. They would not be ruling over one another. They would not be exercising authority. They would be coming in the name of Christ. So what would the name of Christ include? What did Christ say? I am one who is amongst you who comes to serve. So that's what they should be doing. Now the question is, what kind of service are they supposed to be providing? Because to some people, if tickling my ears, you know, telling me what I want to hear, making me feel good, making me feel saved, is what I'm paying that pastor for. That's what I want. Home churches, a lot of times, they just don't want to pay a pastor. But they still gather to get that feeling of fellowship. Now, is fellowship, the feeling of fellowship, wrong? No, absolutely not. It's a great idea to have a feeling of fellowship, a feeling of togetherness and belonging. And I just was reading a kind of a summary of the uh, the meeting in uh, Florida that took place last week uh, that was sent out by one of the participants. And, uh, you know, he was talking about having lots of laughs, uh, even belly laughs. and But he also talks about people helping one another and sharing information and, and just getting to meet people face to face. That's called fellowship. That's all good. Well, you know what? The mafia does that. <laughs> uh, you know, thieves and robbers do that. They get together and have a good time. That doesn't make it bad. It is good. But it's not enough. You got to have more. And hopefully that's what a lot of the people gathered at that gathering, seeking that wanting more, that that something extra. And what I fear in a lot of home churches, and they should be afraid of this too, and they it's just something to be concerned about, is that your home church gathering will be so pleasant, so fulfilling for that natural need of fellowship, that you won't go the extra steps. You won't continue that journey on to where? Where are we supposed to be taking that journey to? To the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We don't want to stop at home gatherings. I say home gatherings rather than home church because that would be like saying home called out. <laughs> We're not having home church is like saying home called out. Because we we transferred the word called out 
from what it actually means to church to meaning assembly. But like I said, there's all these other words, and there's even more words than I mentioned, uh, that can mean assembly. And we talked before about uh, therapeia, which uh, means, uh, which is translated household. Uh, it's not the only word. There's several words that translate household. We've gone over that. But that one word actually means services rendered by one to another. Well, in your home gatherings, in your home congregations, in your home symposiums, in your home companies, because symposia is translated companies in uh, in the New Testament, and it, it talks about gathering in those small ten family companies, and actually, Jesus is commanding his called out ministers, his disciples, that he has put these uh, directives upon. Because Christ did put directives upon those that he called out. He said there were certain things they had to do. And he commanded that they make the people sit down in these companies of ten, which is what a home church is. Small group. You get ten families in most homes, and it's it's going to be kind of packed. You know, I mean, if, you know, I know we've got some families that have, you know, over 10 members in their families. So you get 10 families like that in one home, you got 100 people gathering in your home. I hope they're gathering in the biggest home (laughs) in their congregation. So that anyway, but the, this household that we see, this word, we see translated household in Matthew twenty four forty five, Luke nine eleven, Luke twelve forty two, Revelations twenty two two means service rendered by one to another. So that's why you gather in the household of God is to render service one to another, and that is coming in the name of Christ when you do that. Hopefully, when the services strengthens everybody involved. That is coming in the name of Christ because Christ came to serve. So they, they talk about this word uh, like we see in Luke twelve forty two, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them portion of meat? In due season. Now that word portion of meat. We've talked about that. That has to do with. It actually doesn't necessarily have to do with meat. It could be grain. It could be anything. And we see the same kind of thing. When John the Baptist is saying. You know if. You know they're asking John the Baptist. How this kingdom of God works. Because he's saying seek the kingdom of God. Repent. Think a different way. Seek the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And he says, if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Do it with charity. And do the same in meats. So that's that's what they're talking about. Do the same in food. Do the same in shelter. Do the same in whatever is needed. To share it through charity. And that's thinking different than the people were thinking at that time. But we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we talked about this word before, the word steward that we see in that particular quote. And it has the word house in it. Uh, it's also translated chamberlain and it's also translated governor.
But it, it really is talking about someone who has the duty in a household of dealing out a proper portion to every servant and even to the children uh, not yet of age. The uh, this steward is, uh, he's talking about this steward and, and it, it, in the definition of this word you find in concordances, it says it's a metaphor for the apostles and other Christian teachers and bishops and overseers. But the problem is, is we don't really understand what those Christian teachers, bishops, and overseers are supposed to be doing uh, because they aren't to be exercising authority one over the other. And in that same verse, we see this reference to make them rulers. And the, that word there is kathistemi uh, in the Greek. But it's more often translated just make or even ordain or appoint uh, or set. And that's actually what it means to set in place. You're setting somebody in place who is going to uh, have the duty of dealing out a portion of what belongs to that household. Okay, if we're talking the household of God, that means the portion of what people have already chosen to give in what they call korbanos or the korban, given in charity to the church. And so understanding, you know, people say, oh, there was no tithing in the early church. Well, not as you may think of it, but there was certainly uh, right out of the box, they were taking up collections. We see this over and over again, not only to help people in their local area, but to help people in Syria, to help people in Corinth, to help people in Galatia, to help people in Ephesus. And they were sending out men like Paul and Barnabas and others to make sure that that assistance arrived where it was going to go. Right away, they were able to do this all over the Roman Empire. Why? Because the ordained ministers, appointed ministers of Christ, knew that they had to require, in order to do their job of being good stewards, of dividing not the household bread in your house, but what you choose to give, because that's what Barnabas and Paul were going to have to do when they took this collection up and were going to go to this other part of the Roman Empire and help out the people where this dearth was taking place. They were going to have to know who to take it to. They were going to have to know who to give it to. They didn't just come there and just start, you know, big old food line out the side of a semi-truck just handing out to everybody in line. Because we've explained this is that when you have these disasters, there are people who go around just looking for where people are giving out free food and free stuff and they go and get collected. Even though they don't need any of it. They have food. They just want to go. It's like people gold mining, you know, out there panning gold. They just want to get something for nothing. And they're addicted to doing that. <laughs> and that's the that's part of the troll spirit in them. Going out and taking what they have no right to. That's what a lot of trolls are going out trying to make, you know, they, they find somebody who is uh, in the, you know, in the media. And they put up a video in the media and they go and they troll that video because that video is going to get a million views. And so they want to put their little trolling comment down on the bottom of that so that they're a part of that. It makes them feel alive. And so these 
these people go out to places where they're handing out free food and they get some of the free food. They, they didn't lose anything in the fire. They didn't lose anything in the earthquake. They're actually just going to get something for free. So, when Paul and Barnabas show up with these limited supplies that were given by charity, they have a responsibility like good stewards to make sure the right people get that food, get that clothing, get that assistance. And this is what the church was doing. This is what the called out were doing. Locally and on broader scales. I mean, if you were, you can go and, and we'll talk about it later with Justin the Martyr talks about church meeting. And he writes about it to the emperor himself to tell the emperor what Christians are doing. And he says that they're, those that have are sharing with those that don't have enough. So anyway, the, I, there were a few other verses that I wanted to go over that, that came up and uh, that are mentioned by people who are trying to advocate home church, which they should be actually have advocating home assemblies. They, again, the church is the called out. And now they don't like the idea, oh, we don't need a minister because they think religion, this is part of the problem, they think religion is what they think about God. You know, their their personally accepted doctrine, what they feel about God, their fellowship with God. And it certainly is, in part, what they their fellowship with the Holy Spirit, their fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. That is what religion is part of. But religion fully defined and pure religion specifically defined in the biblical text is the taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society unspotted by the world. And so it's not enough to sit in a pew and think about God. It's not enough to sit on your couch and think about God. If you're going to come in the name of Christ, you have to gather in your home congregations, in your home assemblies, in your home symposia, whatever you want to call it, in that home gathering for the purposes of Christ. And the purpose of Christ was one who comes to serve. If you're just serving your little group of those that give you this feeling of fellowship, you're no different than thieves and robbers who and, and the mafia and everybody else. You're just gathering to serve your little group. Christ didn't come just to serve the apostles, his little group, or even just to serve the 70. He came to serve all mankind. And from the beginning, Israel was meant to be a priest to all mankind, setting an example amongst themselves of how to take care, to run an entire government, an entire nation with no king, no central ruler. They themselves take the responsibility of dividing the sacrifice of the people for the people and by the people. And they do this. That You can't be everywhere. You're out there farming. You're out there, you know, pressing olive oil or raising sheep or, or you're a carpenter or you're a stonemason or whatever your job is. You're doing that 
And, but you know you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. So you take a portion of what you produce. Uh, you know, if you're a sheep herder, you can send your pastor some sheep. Or you can sell those sheep and send them some money that you got for those sheep. <laughs> but the fact is, you give a portion of your labor, a portion of your life's blood, that the blood that's pumping through your veins, to somebody you trust. You look out amongst yourself, pick somebody you trust, and you say, I'm going to give you these funds so that you can tend to the widows and orphans and needy of society. And if that's not enough, you let me know. Keep me informed. That's that's what the early way of Christians was. They were taking care of one another. Now, they had an option. They didn't have to do that. They could just sign up at the local temples with, uh, you know, the Pharisees. Or if they didn't like the Jewish traditions, they could sign up at the Temple of Roma, both built by Herod. And they would take care of the needy, and you would pay into those. Or you could sign up at the Temple of Saturn, and you could register with the Temple of Saturn, or or some of these other temples that they had throughout. You know, you could become a member of the Temple at Ephesus, and you could pay into that. And you would get paid back. And they would take care of you in time of need. This, these were investment houses. These were like banks, like I've said. Now, somebody, somebody in... In our troll series, we talked about this. It was complaining that about us that we said Ephesus, that the temple at Ephesus was a bank. What craziness is that? Well, we don't just say it. We show you. <laughs> it was a central bank built by over 127 different nations. You don't know that when you read the Bible in your home gatherings. You may be missing some of the message. And that's why I was going to take a look at some of these other texts that they... They bring up and read them in context. One is Acts two forty six, and uh, I'll read it from Acts forty two, uh, Acts two forty two, verse forty two. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So wait a minute. They continued steadfastly in the apostles. Doctrine and fellowship. So the apostles are something separate here. And in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now the breaking of bread, we have this tendency to think that it has to do with the little host. And you put this little crumb host on the, actually the host at one time was called a crumb. And uh, you put it on your tongue and then that's breaking of bread. That ceremony is so important. No. It was more than that, and very clearly, as you, if you go back and you read Justin, it was sacks of bread. And they had diakonuses actually running out in the streets, taking the sacks of bread to other houses of people who could not make it to the meeting. You know, because there wasn't bus service back then. You know, it was a big deal to get to these bigger meetings. Most of the meetings were small little meetings in local homes, but even then, some people couldn't get to the local home. And so, but you knew they were a part of your symposia, your company, because you had sat down and organized yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as commanded by Christ. This is what the early church did. So they knew, wait a minute, Joe's not here, Steve's not here. Does anybody know how they're doing? Well, they're doing okay, but Joe's still got a broken leg. It's getting better, but he can't make it. 
So did their family need, yeah, they're a little short on food. So okay, we'll send, you know, 10 loaves with you to go to Joe's house or to Steve's house or wherever it's needed. They were looking out for one another on a local basis, but also they would read reports, letters from other congregations all over. And they would find out this out one of the ways they also had this spiritual awakening because they were actually following the way of God. And men just stood up and said, hey, you know, there's going to be a problem in Syria or there's going to be a problem over here. And uh, and they got ready ahead of time because they knew there was going to be a problem. They could see things far off. And some could see things real far off. But they were all, each of them had to be led by the Holy Spirit. They weren't just following people who said that they're prophetesses or prophets. They were following, each one was responsible for following the Holy Spirit in their own hearts. So anyway, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines, teachings, and fellowship. And in the breaking of bread, the dividing of bread, from house to house, according to some, in prayers, in other words, applications, needs. If we have needs, we're going to go to the the apostles and to the congregations of congregations of congregations and say, we have a need. Can you help us? They could have gone to Caesar, but they didn't. This is a distinction. This is what why Christians were accused of private religion, which was legal at that time. Later on, it would become illegal in the Roman Empire and bring more persecutions. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Again, these miracles will start to come when you start to follow the way. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Now, that all things come, we have a whole article and on the page, our home church page. There's a live link there. You can go and read that whole article. That doesn't mean that they were a socialist nation. That doesn't mean that they were uh, a commune. Because they were supposed to return every man to his possession and every man to his family. But yet in the very next line it says, And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So they're in the temple. Now that's a, that sounds like a big church. But again, the temple, now they were actually in the temple that was built then. They were actually in that, but in reality, God wanted you to build a temple of living stones. And that's what they were doing in this whole process of learning what it meant to be a real Christian. So they talk about uh, sold their possessions and, and goods. And the word there for uh, possessions is uh, only appears about four times in the Bible. And it talks about properties and lands and estates. We see it in Matthew 19.22, Mark 10.22, Acts 2.45, and Acts 5.1. And it talks about people who sold their possessions, uh, such as 
Ananias and Sapphira sold their possessions. Why were they selling their possessions? And why couldn't they keep some of the funds to themselves? Why was that was wrong? Well, they were actually lying. And this is, we explain Ananias and Sapphira why they were doing this. Who had to sell their goods and possessions? There's actually, uh, the, the word that we see there as goods is Hooper, uh, well, actually it's, uh, Hooper Oxix. Um, well, sorry for my Greek pronunciation, but anyway, that is actually a part of another word that we see Jesus using that is never translated goods or possessions or wealth or property, but actually does mean goods, wealth or property. And, uh, that's, uh, where he says, if you want to be one of my disciples, this is his requirement, to be one of his disciples. Now, you remember, a disciple is a student. We're all disciples of God. But to be one of the disciples of Jesus, who was both high king and high priest, uh, to be his disciple was to study to be a minister of his government. And you were going to get appointed a position in his government. But his government was not like the governments of the rest of the world. So if I say government, you have to be very careful what you're thinking in your mind. Because once you repent, you have to think a different way. When I say government of God, I'm not talking about a government that exercises authority one over the other. I'm talking about a government of service. And that was different. Everybody else was using the term government back then as a government of force. Forcing the taxes of the people forcing the contributions of the people, for, forcing the compliance of the people. But in God's kingdom, that's not the way it works. It's still a government. It's a different form of government. It's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, and only works if the people will let the Holy Spirit in. And when you gather in your home churches, you have to remember that the Holy Spirit is not an emotional experience. The Holy Spirit is actually going to bring you to an awakening of understanding and action that will be like the first century church. Automatically, it's going to be like the first century church, even without me explaining to you what the first century church is doing. So now when I'm telling you what the first century church was doing, and you look at your home church and you're not doing that, then you need to search your own soul and see if you have need of repentance. You need, and again, repentance is not feeling sorry, it's thinking a different way. Because, yeah, the big cathedral church, the 20,000 people sitting there in pews or soft chairs and, and listening to one motivational speaker up there is not what Christ intended. But what Christ intended was people loving their neighbor as themselves. So anyway, that word that appears in uh, uh, there as goods is also from the uh, Hooper Conta, which is um, uh, a noun and is often translated goods or uh, possessions, substance. It, it means any kind of possessions, goods, wealth, or property. And Jesus uses the term in Matthew nineteen twenty one. He says, Jesus said unto them, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast 
And the word has there is possessions, property, goods. It's this same Greek word. And give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. So, we see the same thing in in Luke 14.33. He says, And likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, again that word possession, a property, etc., cannot be my disciple. So, it also says in Acts, though uh, Jesus was rich, because he actually came from a rich family, not a poor family, that is that is is just nonsense to think that Jesus came from a poor family, but everybody thinks it because everybody's told he's poor and he was this humble carpenter and all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm sure he was a humble guy in construction, and maybe he knew woodworking, maybe it was stone working doesn't really say in the original text, but he comes from a very rich family. We know that, and he was uh he was a descendant of the house of David. His uncle was extremely wealthy, one of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire. And they were not poor. And it says, like I say, it in uh, the New Testament, that though he was rich, he made himself poor. Why? Because the Levites were not allowed to have a personal estate. They owned all things common. <laughs> <laughs> they had they owned a kind of an estate within the Levite community. If one Levite sold uh, property, any Levite could come and and compel that purchase back to the Levite community because the Levite didn't own the actual property itself. He had what you might call a legal title to it, but only within the jurisdiction of all Levites because they held all things in common. So no one Levite could sell property that was set aside for the Levites outside of the Levite community. That's the way it was set up. You don't like it? I'm sorry. But that's the way it was originally set up with the Levites. They changed that. But if you don't know your history and you're reading the Bible outside of the context of history, you're going to miss things. Now, the Holy Spirit can lead you to those things and it can also lead you to us and we can show you those things and you can check it out for yourself. Ultimately, what you need is the Holy Spirit to understand what Jesus is talking about. He was clearly calling out a group of men and their families to serve the people as stewards, rightly dividing that which was contributed to them from house to house to help the people in time of need. We see them doing this all throughout the epistles going about taking up these collections, having the collections already ready when when Paul gets there so he can take them where they're most needed in the Roman Empire. And not just Paul, not just Barnabas, not just Timothy, but all the this is going on all across the Roman Empire and beyond. This was the job of the called out. This was also the job of the Levites who were the called out in the wilderness. And by that common bonds of a system of welfare that was operating totally on charity, they became a nation, a well-organized nation, because you wanted to go to church, hopefully so that you could give to others. But when you had need and you needed to pray for help, 
you went to, and I here you got me even doing, go to church. Go to the church, which is the called out. You go to the called out and say, I need more help. You do this by gathering together in your symposia, in your companies, in your congregations, your local congregations. And occasionally those local congregations will get together in larger groups. And so that they get to know each other, so that they get this face-to-face fellowship. In doing that, they were ready for the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. They were, the persecutions helped them get ready for that as well. But this was important because it was foreseen that this was coming. So what do you foresee coming for the world today? Are you ready? Are you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or are you falling short? We'll talk more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we looked at Acts uh, 2, 45, and if, uh, on to 46. But in 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people. This is one of the things. Christians weren't persecuted by everybody. They were persecuted by establishments. They were persecuted by jealous people. But the, in fact... There were many cases where people were actually helping Christians out because Christians were helping others out. We saw the same thing going on in Egypt when the Israelites were learning what it was to be a free nation during the plagues. When times were getting difficult, there were food shortages, there were, you know, I mean, fire and brimstone. There was all kinds of uh, geological events and uh, disease and plagues that were coming And uh, this was hard on the population, to say the least. But the Israelites were always preparing. They were able to do something because of the insight that Moses and others brought to them because of their relationship with the Holy Spirit. They were beginning to develop faith in this Holy Spirit. And they were beginning to awaken to this idea of loving thy neighbor as thyself. And Philos talks about the Israelites uh having these water vases that allowed them to share water with others because drinking water got in a real short supply there. And those water vases were like Berkey water filters. They were clay ceramic deals and they still use them to this day in those areas and they know how to make them. And it was because drinking water was very difficult to come by and the Israelites were able to share drinking water with others, in these national disasters that we see, whether it's hurricanes or earthquakes or fires, drinking water is always a big, important thing. We'll be again in the world because uh, what's kept us alive for the the last 50 to 100 years is the invention of plumbing, clean drinking water. Uh, bad drinking water it kills more people than probably all disease put together. But anyway, um, because they were learning to do this for one another, everybody who knew the Christian on the ground kind of liked them. But then there was always this troll spirit coming up that hated them. Why? Because he was showing them for the covetous, selfish people that they had become. Go read about Polybius on the website, and he tells you what was happening to the Roman people. They had become accustomed to living at the expense of, of others and it was beginning to cause them to become degenerated uh, as a people and uh, we can see that same thing 
happening in America. We look out, we see people, um, you know, having these uh, uh, fits uh, because a political somebody wins a political position or something happens, and they're just throwing these irrational fits and screaming and yelling and. They're all just full of emotion and everything like it's the end of the world. And it really is not. Why Why have people become so emotionalized? And in this, when you have your home churches, you have to guard against this. Even in your congr- big, you know, regular, you go to different, I, won't, I don't want to name the denomination, but some of them, they have lots of people that get all emotional and they're waving their hands and they're they're screaming and sometimes rolling on the floor and, and supposedly speaking in tongues, a lot of that is fake. It's emotionalism. I'm not saying that it can't be real, but it isn't always real. And I know guys who've gone into these churches and exposed them. <laughs> Joe, but you better go in with the Holy Spirit. Because the strong delusion that was prophesied, the many that say they're coming in God's name and Christ's name, but he actually knows them not, that's already here. And you just have to be sure that you are not swept away with that emotionalism. But back to Polybius says, The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence. That's what John, he, this guy is, you know, a hundred and some years before John the Baptist telling that's what was happening in Rome. And the people had grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others. And then John the Baptist comes along and says, No, not by force, but by charity, by love, by righteousness, not by violence. Not living with an appetite for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, but love your neighbor. Because, see, if you go the other way, you will institute the rule of violence and now uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder. This is where the persecution comes from until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. And whether you, your your master and monarch is going to be, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to name names, but Democrat or Republican, it doesn't really make any difference. If you've become accustomed to an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule, rulers of force and compulsion and violence imposed a sacrifice, you're a long ways from what Christianity is and you're a long ways from what Moses was saying because Moses' government was supported by free will offerings. You call it tithe because they were gathered in groups of ten. And each one giving their share is going to come up as a tithe. But it wasn't enforced by force. It was free will offerings. That's what you see over and over again. Free will offerings. Free assemblies. People came together and they formed their own assemblies in groups of ten families. And they contributed. And the ministers who received that, the living altars received those offerings, were able to rightly distribute them from house to house according to the needs of the people. And this endeared the poor to the rich. And that endearment of the rich to the poor. If you do it by force, the people will hate the rich. 
even though the rich pay most of it anyway, <laughs> they'll hate them because they're they're being turned into savages. This is what you see: socialism, communism, all the movement in that direction that you see worldwide now. Even the Pope is advocating socialism and communism now. Which, according to some of the prophecies, just sent me, he's the last Pope. <laughs> Well, whether it is or not, I don't know. Those aren't my... I don't know the guys who... Uh, Malachi or whatever his name is, uh, who made those prophecies. I find them interesting, but I don't know. But I do know what's coming. And uh, But what you need to know is what's coming for you. And what's coming for you is dependent upon the choices that you make today. Are you going to choose the way of Jesus Christ, which is the way of wealth distribution through charity or the way of Cain which is and Nimrod and Caesar which is wealth distribution through force because if you're going to go through force then what's, what Polybius talks about is going to happen to you if you do it according to John the Baptist through charity something else is going to happen and so the reason you gather in your home congregations is to be like Christ, to serve others. Not just your congregation, but all other congregations. So home churches should link together with other home churches. Not by contract, but by love. And that love has to be an action. So anyway, in 1 Corinthians 11, which is another one of these uh, quotes that I wanted to take a look at, it says, uh, it talks about in verse 22 in chapter 11, it says, what have ye not houses to eat and drink? Well, that's why they bring that up, is that it refers to meeting in your own houses instead of in some big... Well, the mere fact that they're talking about sending the people back to their houses shows that they were having bigger gatherings. Because it's a lot of fun to get together with a lot of other people and everybody's sharing and everybody's... Uh, uh, and But what happens when you have these big deals, is you have those people that come out of the woodwork who never really share themselves. And in a local congregation, you would know who they are. But in the big gathering, they can just show up and you don't know, oh, I never saw that guy before. He must be with another congregation. He just came in. That We've had that. When we have big gatherings out here, people say, oh, we just saw the signs and we came for the free meal. They had no interest in what we were talking about. No interest in Christ. No, They were just coming because they wanted to get a free meal. And they, they're just bold, arrogant, <laughs> selfish people. And, you know, we let them have the free meal, but we're just astounded uh, of, of that because it's not the way we think. We've, we've been spending some t- serious time repenting. Those people still need to repent. But anyway, if you go up to verse 17 now... In this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better advantage, is what the word means, to the advantage, but for the worse. What's he talking about? He wants you to come together for the worse? No, he come together to help others, not just to get for yourself. For the first of all, he says, for first of all, when ye come together in the called out the church I hear that there be division amongst you and I partly believe it 
For there must be also heresies, which the word heresies there is actually the word choices amongst you. You need to have choices. You need to ponder, should I do it this way and that? Where's the answer come from? Well, you can listen to the counsel of others, but ultimately it has to be the Holy Spirit. You have to exercise the use of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, you need choices. That they which are approved may be made manifest amongst you. In other words, freedom of speech. And those with bad ideas will expose themselves. When you come together there for unto one place, which is talking about larger gatherings or even small gatherings, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So you don't come just to get food. For in eating, everyone taketh before others his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. So if you're just coming through for the party, that's not going to work. So that's when he says you have houses of your own to drink and eat. Despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So he's warning people. And this goes also for those who go to eat the emotional food in the big congregational churches where they have hundreds, maybe even thousands of people meet. And you get this real sense of of togetherness. And, and you got this motivational speaker up there and it gives you this feeling and everything. And you may have some good contemplative, soul-searching thinking. And that's on an individual basis. I don't know. But generally, these gatherings, because they have nothing to do with the daily ministration, which was a key. The, the purpose of the ministers was to what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Pure religion. Take care of the widows and orphans, unspotted by the world. And that word world there is constitutional order or system of government. It's not age. It's not unspotted by the age. It, uh, uh, the different words that we see translated in the world. It's the one that means constitutional order or system of government. Not be eating of those offerings that are forced from the people, supplied to the temples, and then redistributed by the free bread of Rome. People, somebody actually argued that the bread sacrificed to idols uh, was had nothing to do with a welfare system. The guy's totally, uh, you know, we've explained it. We've shown him the articles and he's just totally in denial. Now, many of you haven't read the articles. You don't see the evidence of what we're saying. Ultimately, you will not be able to see it even when you read the articles unless the Holy Spirit is beginning to awaken you. Because until you are born again of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom. It's here right now. It's right before you. It's always been here. But you can't see it unless you be born again in the Spirit because you will be like those people that Polybius talked about coming accustomed to feeding at the expense of others and, and living by this force and violent sacrifice compelled by government that you just think that that's okay. Now, the governments are there to punish the wicked. I agree. But they're not there. You should not be looking to feed and pray to those governments for your daily bread. You're supposed to pray to your Father in Heaven for your daily bread. 
and your Social Security, your welfare, everything. Go read our article on Social Security. It's not what you think. And, and I'm not condemning you for it. I'm just saying we should be going the other way. And it's a long ways away from where we've been going. And if you don't go the other way now, you won't be ready. And the Christians were getting ready for the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And they thrived during it. And that's, and it wasn't just because they did this other thing. It was because a spiritual presence came in with the doing. Not because they earned it, because it's still by grace. But because they were beginning to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit that was showing them, we can't be coveting our neighbor's goods through the agency of government or anybody else. So in verse 23 it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. What he received of the Lord was the contributions of the people, as well as the truth that awakened in him by the the leading of the Holy Spirit. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took a cup. And he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my is in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That's a ritual that he is laying out as a symbolic ritual of what you're supposed to be doing every day. Breaking off a portion of your life, laying down a portion of your life sacrificing a portion of your life for others. And if you were doing that, you would have no need of the bread of Caesar. You would be taking care of one another. And with that would come an inflow of the Holy Spirit. Not an emotional inflow, but the actual power of the Holy Spirit. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, which would be every day, If you were living in the way of Christ, ye do show the Lord, Lord's death till he come. And the reality is, is that's when that Holy Spirit will come unto you, is when you follow in the ways of Christ, taking care of one another, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, not just crumbs, but the actual needs, taking care of one another. And there's a huge door of opportunity open to you. You don't have to wait till it bur- the fire in paradise, which we talked about many times now. You don't have to wait for earthquakes in Alaska or California or San Diego. You don't have to wait for droughts in Texas. You can just start t- gathering in your small home gatherings, your home congregations, caring about one another and start linking those congregations with other congregations looking for others who are going to be waking up to this. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, that goes for those people who get in line at, uh, you know, food kitchens who have food at home. 
that that will sour in their belly. They have no idea. I wish I had somebody do a follow-up and we could do a follow-up story of these people who come in and do this kind of thing. But it it, it will bring about the death. Now, they can get away with this in the unrighteous mammon. They can, they can go and they can do uh, welfare fraud, which is the unrighteous mammon. Because, see, mammon is entrusted wealth. Everything you've been paying in, it's not there. It's, it hasn't ever been there. It's, it, and there's no guarantee of benefits and, or any of that stuff. You go read our page on Social Security. We show you the actual statements of the Supreme Court, the advertisements of the time, uh, the explanation of the system, the guy who wrote the system of the Social Security. It's not what you think. It's not there for your benefit. It's there for your snare. And and Paul talks about this. David talks. Paul quotes David. What the table that should have been for your welfare has become a snare. But I'm not. I'm not saying okay. If you're getting a social security check, you have to stop right now. I'm saying turn around, start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Start going the other way, because that's. That's what Christ was teaching these people. That's what John the Baptist was teaching these people. That's what Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about your little home church fellowship where you all like each other and you feel good and you share a pizza or or dinner together. Those are all great things. But that's not the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of the home church. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. Which made such an impact during, I mean, you think the decline and fall of the Roman Empire wasn't an impact. That was a huge impact. But where was it taking us? Where were we going? Well, there's more to this quote you can read about and find out what it means to find your rest in the brethren of God. Uh, to eat and tarry not. Uh, to, you have to be there for others. But anyway, I have, uh, I have some other quotes uh, that I, I I'm going to bring in here, uh, and there's more, much more on the website when we talk about Acts 16:3, uh, where we quote and we mention the word ordained, which is not the same word ordained that you see in other uh, quotes like Luke 12:42. And that's the thing is that they'll translate some word one way here, 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 and then another way over here. And then they'll take another word that should be translated ordained and they translate it a different way. And they'll, so there's like several different words translated ordained. They, but when you read it, you don't think, I mean, it's just slight deceptions, slightly taking you off course. But I want to read to you now a letter from, um, uh, Francis Chan, who actually is coming out of a regular Orthodox I shouldn't say orthodox, but, you know, a, a regular uh, Protestant uh, religious denomination. And he's, you could see this guy is waking up to a lot of things. How far he's going to go, I don't know. and I'm not advocating him or anything. But he says in this one quote, then I have them, he's talking about, he goes to people who go into uh, regular churches. And he says, then I have them list the commands of God gave the church in scripture. Because he has them, uh, usually they mention, uh, I should have 
put the quote that he has before that. Maybe I'll put that in here too. But he says, usually they mention commands like love one another as I have loved you. That's one of the commands of Christ. Or visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. And of course, that word visiting doesn't just mean, you know, stop by and say hello while they're collecting a social security check or a welfare check or a disability check. You're supposed to be taking care of them so they don't have to go to Caesar. Uh, because Caesar does not give you what he collects. He borrows money against the future of your children. This is how your covetous practices curses your children. Also, he forces the offering. That's back to what Polybius said and what John the Baptist said. And not to take it by force, but to to redistribute amongst the needy by free will offerings. You're completely going against the teachings of Moses, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, if you think that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You don't have... Even insurance is better than that because at least in insurance, nobody's being forced to pay. (laughs) But you should be... Your home gatherings... Networking together in kingdom fashion, like the early, uh, the early Christians, would give you an assurance that would bring in a flow of the Holy Spirit that would give you insight and protection that I can never give you in a thousand radio programs. And then, you know, he mentions that from James one twenty seven, the visiting orphans. And you can go, we have a live link there that goes to a study on James 1. Make disciples of all nations. That's another command, he says. But disciples, learning what? A disciple, a student. What are you teaching them? Are you teaching the ways of Rome? Are you, and are you teaching the ways of socialism? Are you teaching them the ways of Christ and John the Baptist and Moses? And the righteousness of God. And then he also says, bear one another's burdens, which is Galatians 6 2. I then asked them what, and I'm quoting still here Francis Chan from his book, uh, Letters of the Church. I then asked them what would upset their people more if the church didn't provide the things from the first list. Or if the church didn't obey the commands of the second list. Well, I don't know what would disappoint the people more. But I know what disappoints Christ more. (laughs) Because in his first list he was talking about, you know, feelings of fellowship. And feelings of a good sermon. And feelings. It's all feelings. And some of it, depending on the individuals, may be sincerely seeking to know God. But if you're really seeking to know God, you should know all that he mentioned in the second list, plus what he didn't mention, which we mention on a regular basis. And I don't expect them to mention all of it. It says, what about repenting? Feeding his sheep. That way, he made, he repeated that three times. Feed my sheep. Keep the commandments. If you love me, If you love me, you will keep the commandments, he says. John tells us this. These are all there, and these are live links on the page. Making the people gather in tens. That's another thing. He commanded his disciples to make the people gather in the tens and in the hundreds and thousands. What about forgiveness? 
loving one another, seeking one another. People say, well, I paid into the system. I should be able to take for the system. You paid into the system to take care of the people that were in need at that time. You know the system is bankrupt. Now, you have to forgive that. Let that go. That was your free will sacrifice or your compelled sacrifice. Make it free will. Say, let it go. And now start taking care of one another. Start coming together like the church brought the people together. And I say the church, the called out, brought the people together by rightly dividing the bread from house to house through the free will offerings of the people. We'll be back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, let's uh, go back here and uh, under the house church revisited, I added a few quotes and uh, few more links I'm, I'm building this web page so that people can go to it and hopefully these videos uh, audios will help them understand that we're going to change pace uh, eventually and start focusing more in other directions but we need to have this address because home church movement home assembly movement is really a good idea but you have to be careful that it does not bog you down in a feeling of satisfaction, you need to remember that your goal is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not that you will become righteous, you're saved by grace, but if you really love Christ, you will keep his commandments. He's He's made this very clear. But I put on there a, a quote from uh, Graydon Snyder, who is a professor of New Testament uh, at Chicago in the Theological Seminary. Uh, but he says, there is no literary evidence nor archaeological indication that any such home was converted into an extant church building. Nor is there any extant church that certainly was built prior to Constantine. The first church consistently met in homes. The first churches, and he uses the word churches here, but say you put the word ecclesia there. The first ecclesia consistently met in homes with who? The sheep, the people, the the people, the Christians following the way. The church was the called out. And the called out met with them, not to rule over them, but to provide an essential service. Uh, and they met in homes until the year around 300. We know of no buildings first built as churches. Now, we'll, we'll look at, uh, at uh, a building that they did find before that time that was uh, clearly not your regular house. It was much bigger than a regular house. And it was uh, built uh, in uh, Dura Europas in Syria. And actually, you can't go see it right now because it's an area occupied by ISIS and they're worried about it having been destroyed. Although archaeologists have already taken over 2,000 artifacts from that uh, dig, as well as I guess they've taken some of the frescoes on the wall, which is some of the earliest frescoes that portray Jesus and, uh, you know, walking on water with Peter and other things that were in this this building. Uh, but... Uh, I also put in another quote. I actually have a diagram on the page now of this early round, uh, maybe uh, 233 to 256, this this building, which people call a church. It was clearly originally a house. 
The second floor was still living quarters, according to the determination of the uh, the archaeologists. There seems to be a room that they designate as the baptistry. Of course, they're putting these names on these rooms. There are other rooms that you can meet in. The picture that I have there, I don't believe that it's really drawn to scale. From the best I can see, these people are way too small for the scale that they have driven uh, written here. If you had, like I said, if you had 10 families and their children meeting in this building, it would pretty well fill it up. Uh, because uh, a family was grandpa, grandpa, his married sons, and all his unmarried daughters, his married sons' wives, and all their children. So the idea of ten families meeting in this building could easily fill it up. It's not that big of a building if they were all in there. But if only men met, met in there, say like you had 10 different congregations gathered together and the men met for some sort of a conference or everything. One of the things I thought was interesting, they have one little tiny door for entering this whole thing and then going upstairs. Well, this is, this is again, these are homes, but they're also little castles and it's easier to defend one door and high up small windows. And uh, because when it got dark, there were no street lights and, and thugs could come and rob you, and so you you wanted to have some some obstacles between you and being devastated. But I have here a quote from uh, Frank Viola: "Striking nowhere in the New Testament do we find the term church, ecclesia, temple, house of God used to refer to a building." Although that's not entirely true, because we already looked at house of God actually referred to the temple. But then if we look back in history, taking the whole context of the Bible, they were never supposed to build a stone temple. That was a bad thing. And we can go through that step by step. David started to build it, but put it off. He wasn't didn't put it off because he was lazy, because we were not supposed to build the dead stone temple. We were allowed to do that. But we were also allowed to elect a king and a president and a prime minister. We were not, that was called a rejection of God. And God told us that when we do these things, he would take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I won't even hear you. And we've already explained in previous shows that if you want God to hear you, you have to turn around and start forgiving and giving. Because that's the message of the gospel. To forgive and to give and to love your neighbor, not to covet your neighbor's goods. So you can see this repentance turning this whole thing around, this home church, home gatherings, big gatherings, whatever you want to, is you got to be looking in another direction, looking at things in a different way. So anyway, he says, uh, first recorded use of the word ecclesia to refer to a Christian meeting place was penned around 190 by Clemens of Alexandria, in, who lived between 150 and 215. Clemens was also the first person to use the phrase go to church which would have uh, been a foreign thought to the first century believers you cannot be uh, you cannot go to something you are uh, although again the church is they called out the disciples the church but the church and and the body of the people the congregation of the people are one in Christ 
So you could use the term in its most general sense to refer to everybody, not only the called out, but those they serve. Uh, But they can only feed the sheep of God, the people following the ways of God, when the people who are following the ways of God follow the ways of God in forgiving and giving. Because it was a way in which to take care of one another without going to the Cain's, Nimrod's, Pharaoh's, and Caesar's of the world who use force and violence to provide you with what the Bible calls the wages of unrighteousness. Again, there's the mammon of righteousness, evidently, and the mammon of unrighteousness. What makes the mammon of unrighteous unrighteous? It uses force to collect its treasure. And what made the Corbin of the Pharisees unrighteous? And and making the word of God to none effect. Because once Herod had set up a system where you signed up and had to pay in, it was now an unrighteous mammon. And it would fail. Jesus wasn't saying don't pay into it. If you're signed up and you, you're compelled to be a member, you have to pay in. Because you, you're a member. You have to, and if you're not going to be righteous in the unrighteous mammon, then how can you be righteous in the more righteous habitations? So they all, he wasn't telling Christians to stop paying their taxes, but, or stop paying their Corbin even. But when the Pharisees said that if you get the baptism of this Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the anointed, because all Messiah, Christ, uh, anointed, they're all the same words. Anointed what? Anointed king. If you get his baptism, you're cast out of our system. When you're cast out of their system, you no longer have to pay in. But they gathered immediately in the tens, hundreds, and thousands of Pentecost and began to spread that gathering together in small home symposia, congregations, linked together by this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands all across the Roman Empire and so that they actually had ministers of ministers of ministers who who often supported themselves with by other means, and that's we can show you how to do that as well, to take care of one another. And in that down with that picture, we have a link to Justin the Martyr, uh, so you can go and uh, see how he was talking about how they gathered once a week, and those that had shared with those that did not have enough. And they even sent ministers out for those who couldn't make it to the meeting, but they knew who they were because they were already gathered in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He's explaining this to the emperor. We need to explain it to your modern Christian. Okay, we already saw in the Acts of the Apostles and in the epistles of uh, of Paul that on a wider scale, those hundreds would gather up funds the thousands would gather up funds and send to other gatherings, other church called out ministers all across the Roman Empire, and they would redistribute that aid amongst their people. People today say, we don't need to do that. We have FEMA, we have Social Security, we have welfare, we have, um, you know, all these different welfare programs that they have, food stamps and everything else. Those all come from men who exercise authority one over the other. Christ said it's not to be that way with you. John the Baptist said you should be doing this by charity. 
James said, pure religion is doing this unspotted by the world who uses force. The constitutional orders and systems of government. So suddenly now you've got a lot to do in your home churches you didn't think you had to do before. But you do. It's part of the deal. And you need to go that way. So, you know, in, in Philippians 2.1, we see, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, now bowels, in the terms of, of that day, your, your bowels were part of what we would say the word heart there today you know you have gut feelings and everything um, bowels and mercy it has to do with the feelings fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vainglory you don't gather because you want a good good feeling or feel like you're a part of some great thing. You gather as this humble servant. But in lowliness, he says, of mine, let each esteem other better than themselves. Don't be looking down on one another and their imperfections. Bless one another. Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others, the needs of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ was sitting down with tax collectors and and uh, publicans, uh, which same thing, and prostitutes and the sinners. And he was called out for it. And he says, well, I've come for the sinners so that they might repent. Well, that's you guys. You need to repent. Uh, so anyway, who being, in verse 6 we see, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore God hath, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in glory of God the Father. Is that servant Christ in you? Is that what is driving you to come together? Are you picking up your cross even to die daily in sacrifice for one another out of that love for one another? This is this is the message of Christ. This is the message of the way of God. 
that we need to learn. And this is what we should be striving to learn in our home gatherings. You know, I, I mentioned Francis Chan in that quote before. He says, bear one another's burdens. And that's from Galatians 6.2. And, and if you put it into context, um, you know, we can, we can take a look at that. I think we have enough time to look at that before the end here. But, uh, uh, you know, you can also, I would also suggest that you go read Galatians from the beginning. And that's one of the things we probably need to do is start going through the, these different epistles and bringing some of these quotes into a better light and better understanding by putting them into the context of the times in the context of the whole Bible. But anyway, in 6, uh, 2, which he mentions, we will start with 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And that's what I'm hoping to do. I'm not faulting you because you've become a part of these systems that is based on covetousness. Socialism is based on covetousness. There are people coming out, Ben Shapiro and and uh, the Canadian Jordan Peterson and, and lots of people are talking about, you know, socialism is theft. It, it, what it really is, is covetousness. You desire to be benefited at the expense of others. But anyway, so, uh, I'm not pointing that out to lord it over you. I'm just pointing that out so that you can turn around and go the other way. Because that's a, that's a process. So in verse 2 it says, bear ye one another's burdens. And that's where you start. You gather together to help one another. You're gonna see, we have an, a neighbor who gets Social Security, the absolute minimum Social Security, and she needs lots of help. Most of her children have died, and and uh, some of them aren't really helping out, out, out as much as they should. And uh, But some of them are doing better and better because we, we actually don't just help her. We get in contact with them and get them to help. I'm meeting with other sons to make sure that they're taking care of their widowed mom uh, this week. And this is this is what the church should be doing is trying to help one another, not condemn one another, but help one another take up and bear one another's burdens. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Many of you have paid into these systems for years and years. Let it go. Forgive it. Be happy that you were able to help out somebody in the process. Yes, lots of it was wasted. But at least you let it go with good intent. God will make up the difference. God is not mocked. If you if you hate the fact that you have paid into these systems and they have squandered the money on all sorts of things, you squandered your blood on their their uh, 
their projects. Okay, but don't be angry. Don't don't resent them. Don't resist that evil. Turn around. Start looking the other direction. Start going the other way. This this will make a huge difference because this now now you can reap what Christ has sown uh, on on the cross. When you pick up your cross, you get to reap what Christ sowed on His cross. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This is the cycle you want to be on. Is that you want to follow that Spirit of Christ. Not the Spirit of the troll. Not the Spirit of envy. Not the Spirit of unforgiveness. But the Spirit of righteousness. You just seek that. God will take care of the rest. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God will take care of the rest. But you do that by gathering together and caring about others. Not condemning others because they have been stupid and foolish. That will take up all your time if that's what you want to pursue. So he goes on to say, And let us not be weary in well-doing. Well-doing, not in criticism and not in mocking people, but in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, we shall reap. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So if you want to be of the household of faith, you have to start living by faith. And again, that's a process. So you gather together for the intention of bearing one another's burdens. Not in making one another feel good. Because sometimes in bearing those burdens, we we actually feel poorly. We have, you know, one of the widow ladies that we help out on a regular basis, she does not want to have people help her. But she's to the point, I mean, she's 90, I think, in a few days. Um she needs help. <laughs> There's just no two ways about it. And her son lives way away and he hasn't retired yet, but he, he does start to help, but he need, we need boots on the ground. Well, that's the job of the church because people can't always get away from their work, but he needs to support us because he needs to support his mother. And, and he does. He doesn't have to give it to us first. He, he gives it directly to his mother. But this is important. This begins to open up spiritual doors when you begin to do these things. It, it begins to let in the light of Christ. You know, Christ has done his part. Now you have to pick up your cross and start following in his ways and keeping his commandments. All those directives. Chan mentioned several of them. We added to those that... And there's actually we have links that will take you to huge lists of directives of Christ. That although because Christ's directives are a burden, but He says my burden is light. Because Christ will help you lift it up, the Holy Spirit will help you lift it up. When I say Christ, that means the anointing. The word Christ means anointing. It's not His name. The anointing of the Holy Spirit will help you lift up the burdens that are yours to lift. And God has given you responsibilities, rights, um, and abilities 
to fulfill those responsibilities, but you have to pick up your cross and do them. So on that same page, we also have a little small section on the early church and what the early church was doing, which is really just a sum up of what I've been talking about. They were not engaged in the covetous practices of most of the Roman population. And many of the Roman population resented them for that. Because it says, well, what do you guys think? You're better than us. We swear by the genius of Caesar. And they swore by the genius. They didn't swear, but they, they lived by the genius of the Holy Spirit. And they believed in faith. They hoped that the Holy Spirit would act upon others that would help them and provide for them if they had needs. But they came together not to get, but to give. They came together not to condemn, but to forgive. They had a daily ministration, and so did Rome. But Christians did not eat of the free bread of Rome. That would be eating of the food sacrificed to idols. Because that's where you got your free bread of Rome. At these little buildings next to the temple, where they handed out the free bread. So the early church was doing this other thing. So if your home gatherings are not seeking to do that, can you really say that you're keeping the commandments of Christ? Can you really say you are the church doing what the early church did? But anyway, until then, we're just going to have to say peace on your house and may God be with you. Join us on the network. Uh, gather with other people. Get, bring, bring your home church along. Come by yourself and see if you want to gather with others. Until then, God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.